on page 1061 of our church Bible. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, David, and uh, good morning. I feel like I've been uh, gadding about all over the place this week. Uh, this time last week in Hertfordshire with other people who are training, worshipping, and then in London on Monday at college, and then in Harrogate with uh, hundreds of uh, church leaders. But it's really good to be home and to be with you all this morning. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have already been speaking to us this morning through the testimonies of your people here in this place. And Father, as we look at your word together, 
would this be another moment of transformation? That you might be known to us. You are with us. Help us to recognize you. Amen. So this is our, the third in our series on the Eucharist. And uh, so we're, we're looking at the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and how that is an, at the sort of the pinnacle of our worship as Christians. And obviously within the context of this service, we only uh, actually gather together around the Lord's table once a month. At nine o'clock, we do that weekly. But if you think of uh, the table in terms of our worship, then all that we do together on a Sunday morning uh, in terms of our singing, our prayers, uh, our listening to God, our studying his word, as well as the breaking of the breads and the sharing of the wine. And this story, The Road to Emmaus, is a story of two settings. It's about the road out there, and it's about the table, our worship together. It's a story of encounter with the risen Jesus, of God with us. It's a story of despair turned to hope, of the road marked with suffering, and of the revelation and transformation that came through the encounter with Jesus. But it's also a story of Jesus being with us and us not knowing it. So on the road, we have got two disciples. We're told one of them's clear past. We don't know the name of the other one, possibly his wife. And they are leaving Jerusalem on Resurrection Day. They're leaving because they believe Jesus to be dead. And along with him, all of their hopes and dreams of being saved and rescued. Interestingly, we're told that the women had already told them the good news of Jesus being alive, but they hadn't believed or couldn't believe them. There's probably a whole other sermon there about why they didn't listen to the women. That was their context, perhaps is a challenge in there for us too, as to who we choose to believe and who we dismiss as not being worthy of listening to. So their expectations on the road, well, they were pretty gloomy. They were downcast. Jesus was dead. They did not expect to see him again. They were frightened. They were bewildered. They were running away. They didn't know what else to do. But they did encounter Jesus on the road. But it was a missed encounter. The stranger that came alongside them questioned them, challenged them, opened the scriptures up to them and told them the whole beautiful big story which pointed to the Messiah not coming to save them from suffering but to save them through suffering. And we're told that their hearts were burning. They didn't necessarily recognize it at the time but they didn't recognize Jesus. And the main reason they didn't recognize Jesus because they did not expect to see him because he was dead. But then there's a turning point. They get to the end of the road. It's the end of the day. And something prompts them. Jesus looks like he's going to carry on. Something prompts them to say, stay with us. And Jesus goes into their home. 
I wonder what, have, what would have happened had they not done that, had they not responded to whatever it was that was prompting them to say, stay with us. Because it is in that turning point as they invite Jesus to stay with them, that the opportunity for a transforming encounter is entered into. Because as we know, because we've got the benefit of looking at the whole story, as they gather together and in the ordinary, break the bread, share the meal, they recognize Jesus. Their eyes are opened to who he is. Echoes, perhaps, of another meal way back in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, took what was not theirs to take, ate another simple meal, this time a fruit, and their eyes were opened. But their eyes were opened then to separation from God. Tom Wright, in his commentary, suggests that in Emmaus, we have the first meal of the new creation. Eyes are open this time to intimacy and reconciliation with God. God has done a new thing. Jesus resurrected from the dead, not been done before or since. So there was a turning point and then transformation. And we see the transformation in the disciples. No longer are they downcast sullenly, desperately, sufferingly walking along the road with their eyes on the ground. Now they immediately drop everything. And you can almost imagine them leaping with joy, skipping along the road, trying to get back that seven miles as quickly as possible to be back in Jerusalem with those who loved the Lord. Knowing in their hearts, knowing in their minds. It was almost, they said, you know, something was burning within us. Their hearts knew what their minds couldn't comprehend. And understandably so that they were bewildered in their minds. But their hearts knew that they would be with Jesus. And why did they know that? Because they had spent time with him. They knew that their world now, their expectations had completely changed. They knew now that their world would never be the same again. There was no guarantee that that would mean everything would be wonderful. And of course it wasn't. Great suffering came. And for those who follow Jesus, that is no guarantee that life will be sorted. But we can be saved through the suffering. So what about our expectations? Well, I think the first question that we need to really honestly ask ourselves is who do we say Jesus is? Because if we, if we don't think that Jesus is alive, then why would we expect to meet him today? We won't, will we? If we think Jesus is an historical figure who lived a good life, whose values we share, who we want to follow for that reason, but he's not alive then why would we expect to encounter him today? Or perhaps we do believe Jesus is alive, but actually we're not really wanting to notice him too often. That's a bit uncomfortable. Or maybe we'll notice him when we're gathered with other Christians, whether here or elsewhere. We'll limit the impact of the encounters that we can have with him. So what about our missed encounters if our expectation is to encounter Jesus, whether on the road, out there in the world, Tesco's 
the train, the gym, the office, our families, our neighbors, if we have that expectation, how will that change things? And what about when we gather here, when we sing, when we gather at the table? Do we expect to meet with God, the risen Jesus, his presence with us? Do we expect to meet God in the Bible? We might be really good. We might have a really good plan of reading through different scriptures day by day. But have you noticed the difference when you pray before you open the book? When you ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal the words and they come to life? It's not just about the head. It's about the heart. Our turning points then. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking the turning point, the key really is preparation. Those disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize Jesus at first. Their heads at least didn't get there straight away, but their hearts knew. And why did their hearts know? Because they'd heard him teach from those very scriptures before. They'd sat at his feet. They'd shared bread and wine with him. They weren't there at the Last Supper But they had broken bread with Jesus before. And so something deep down inside, which was beyond what they could comprehend, knew that that was Jesus. They'd spent time with him. We need to do that too. What would it look like for us to really prepare to encounter Jesus on the road and at the table? Perhaps it would mean, for some of us, that we would pray more often. Perhaps for some of us it would mean we'd pray more specifically about the practical. You know, about the car being defrosted this morning. What would it mean? Would it mean that we'd create extra time for prayer? I was really challenged about this, thinking about, uh, you know, just uh, Facebook and, and access to social media on my mobile. Now, not so very long ago didn't have social media on my mobile. Not so very long ago didn't have a mobile. Lots of us use the excuse of lack of time for prayer. And yet, I've really noticed during Lent when I've tried to be taking notice of how much time I'm spending, and I thought I didn't spend much. What would all those minutes that we've managed to find time to do social media on our phones when we have no time look like if some of them were given to prayer? Or to study of the Bible, equally available on our mobiles? What would it mean, would it, or would it mean, would preparation for you mean actually gathered with other Christians more often, whether in home groups or on a Sunday morning? Would it mean, would preparation mean getting here a few minutes earlier to actually sit and be and be ready rather than rushing through the door and straight in? Would it mean getting here earlier in order to be able to be available to meet with those Christians who are here for the first service, maybe to have an ear for someone, a conversation, a prayer even with someone? What would it look like? Would it mean that we'd be less analytical, that's the kind word, critical, perhaps the more truthful one, about how we worship, about other Christians, about all a whole heap of things, which I'm as guilty of, particularly having worshipped in all sorts of different contexts in this last week. It is so easy to think, well, I wouldn't do it like that, or I don't like that. If we're thinking about that, how are we aware of our encounter with Jesus? That sounds like a distraction to me. Or what about the challenge of children? How do we encourage them 
to be ready for worship? Or do we just think that actually for children, it's a question of keeping them quiet so they don't disturb us, rather than inviting them into the center alongside us so they don't miss what God is doing now? Children are not the church of the future. They're now. What does it mean to look like to be really prepared? When, uh, when I was a school teacher, we used to take 400 children into the hall for assembly at the end of the school day, 20 minutes. And um, we used to line them up in our classrooms in silence first to get them ready. What do we do to get ourselves ready to meet with God? And I'm not just talking about church. I am talking about the road as well as the table. So transforming encounters. We've already, you know, kind of had this sermon preached really before I stood up. People talking of different ways in which God has transformed. Let me just remind you of some of the pictures. So we had Andes, Road to Emmaus. People turning up with their rubbish, dumping it, being transformed and moving away with a much lighter step. We've had uh, the heron waiting, waiting on God's presence. We've had the prayers in, for healing in difficult situations. God, uh, Rob actually saying, God is with you. And the transformation that forgiveness brings. What I'd like us to do, because I believe that God is with us now, that his presence is here. But maybe not everyone has acknowledged that. Maybe there are some this morning that actually it would be the first time for them actually to say, I believe that Jesus is alive. Perhaps for others, it's a question of, well, I know that he's alive. I know it here, but almost the opposite way around to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. I don't know it here. Or I've forgotten what it is to really long to be aware of God's presence. I go through the routines, I do the stuff, but actually something's blocking it. A friend of mine used to say, I know it here, but I need to know it in my Noah. Maybe there's healing to be done. It's Mothering Sunday, as Danny's already said, it's complicated for a whole heap of reasons. It's a difficult day for many. There are some who won't even be here today because it's too difficult. So perhaps we could hold those folk in our hearts and pray for healing for them. I wonder if this is our turning point. I wonder if this is your turning point. I wonder if this is a moment that we can be transformed from the inside out. So will you stand with me and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, you know, you know my heart and you know that um, if I could will everyone in this room to be transformed from the pains and the rubbish and to be healed, if I could will it, I would. But I can't. 
So Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you meet now with each person in this place and those they represent, Lord? Would you open us up to be transformed? Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, this is me stepping out now, but I'm going to say to you that if you feel you want to respond to any of those pictures, uh, you know, are you somebody who, who wants to get rid of some rubbish on your back? Are you waiting? Do you need healing? Are you wanting to say Jesus is alive? Are you wanting to say sorry for limiting the encounters or anything else that God might be saying. If you feel that God is speaking to you now and in this moment, would you put your hand up? Would you raise your hand? And I ask you to do this because I want us to, to reach out and grab hold of what God amongst us wants to do. And then it means that others around can pray for you. Not necessarily with words. So be brave. I don't think you even have to tell people why it is, what it is you're responding to, unless you want to. Thank you. Thank you. Don't miss. Don't be responsible for missing what God might want to do in your life right now, this moment. So if, um, if you just have a look around you, the couple of people with their hands up, just, just reach out to them. Just pray for them. Um, and so you don't necessarily need to use words. If the person wants to say what it is they want to pray about, then let, then let them. And if you've not put your hand up, but you want to nudge the person next to you because you would like to be prayed with, then do that too. God is here. He wants you to know that he is here. Thank you, Lord.